Hi, this is Vernon Kay, and welcome to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line, your home for behind-the-scenes exclusive England Rugby content. We've got something a little different for you in this pod, a very special episode featuring England head coach Eddie Jones. You'll learn more about Eddie, the man, his life, and what he enjoys away from rugby. You'll be surprised, as well as looking at his England reign so far. So let's get to it. I called up with Eddie over a coffee as he took time out from his busy schedule to talk to the England Rugby Podcast. Eddie Jones, really looking forward to this conversation because rugby fans know you as the head coach of the England Rugby team, but we don't really necessarily know about Eddie Jones, the man. So let's find out who you are. So we'll start off with with your childhood. What were you like as a kid? Pretty quiet. Uh, You know, I was... Half Japanese, half Australian, so I was small. And the way to make it in, in schools in Australia is to be good at sport. So I was desperate to be good at, at rugby, desperate to be good at cricket, and worked hard to be a good player and, and by that reasonably studious. And if we were to ask any of your former classmates exactly the same question, would they give us exactly the same answer? Yeah, probably the same, yeah. 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 Like there's the Ella brothers who are famous Australian rugby players we went to school from the age of five right through the age of 18 together. And they were fabulously talented cricketers and rugby players. So we won everything. You know, we were the best team in New South Wales from this little working class place. Um, so we had a lot of fun, but uh, yeah, I was relatively quiet. Was it always rugby that was uh, your sport? Or being Australian, you must have been good at cricket. I, I wanted to play cricket for Australia. That was my dream. But I really? Wasn't, but wasn't good enough, so... We played rugby league first, right, from 10 till the age of 13. And your parents, obviously, a huge influence in yourself and the way you are. How did they uh, guide you into rugby as such? Or did they, or did rugby just find you? They were great parents because they supported, but they weren't pushy. Um, Mm. It was interesting. I was having a conversation with a a mother recently. She's saying, I keep saying to my son, you know, you can do better next time. And every time... She says that to the son, the son gets angry because the son feels that's pressure mm. to perform. And it's such an important thing for parents in sport that they just let the kids play and develop at their own pace rather than you know, put even subconscious pressure on them. My parents were fantastic like that. Being half Japanese and uh, half Australian, that's a contradiction of two personalities really, isn't it? Because the Japanese culture is very polite, very laid back, very sociable. So what are you trying to say about Australians? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to stereotype Eddie, so please, I apologise. You know, we all know that no, the no, Australians no. are brash yeah. and they're full on, they're in your face. Uh, so what was your household like? What was it like in, 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 through the front doors of, of the Jones household? Well, the funny thing is my mum was, was the opposite. She wasn't a traditional Japanese. She was tough, loud, emotional. <laughs> my father was quite... Like, you know, he's one of those guys out of the 50s and 60s, very quiet. So yeah. it was almost like the opposite stereotype in the house. So he had this quite emotional mother and quite a, a stable father. So he always had that going on in the background, which, again, you know, is part of being, being a, in the family. And can you speak Japanese? Uh, a little bit, very badly, about as, as well as I speak English. Right. <laughs> <laughs> which is a deep flash, mate. Right. Uh, when you got to that stage where a young man develops uh, from being a boy into a man. Did you enjoy the physicality of rugby? Is that where your passion for rugby changed? Uh, yeah, I loved that rugby was such a tactical game. You know, so 
as you know, with rugby, you can win it any number of ways, but you've always got to be physical, you've always got to be tough and you've always got to be committed to a team. But then there are different ways of winning it and uh, that's what probably attracted me the most. And what, what were you like as uh, a young man playing rugby? Very dedicated, very committed. You know, I used to go for a run every morning at six o'clock. We had a Dalmatian dog and I'd run three miles every morning. Then I'd go down the park and throw a practice line out throwing. Yeah, you know, so, and then I'd finish work or whatever, school, and then I'd go back and I'd do weights by myself. Because I wanted, yeah, I wanted to make it. And in those days, yeah, you know, doing weights was seen you a bit weird if you're doing weights because no one did weights in those days. So I what, to, what a difference to today! Yeah, now, now you can't get them out of the gym, mate. And I knew I had to get bigger and stronger, and the only way I was going to do that was do it by myself. So, yeah, I wanted to make it, and I loved the game. Yeah, and I think that's the thing you want for kids. You want them to love the game, mm. um, and if you love the game, you want to continue to be part of it. And explain to us people that that don't know. You played rugby, obviously, and you played it to a, a certain level. What kind of player were you? Were you a leader in the locker room? Were you the quiet assassin? Were you the one who was uh, always going forward with the team and driving them on? What kind of player were you? Uh, I made my mark as being a good team player and then being able to maybe get in the heads of the opposition a little bit. And you had a brief uh, period at Leicester? Yeah, right? no, it was one of the best experiences I had. And I think that probably led me to coach. Because I'd only experienced, obviously, Australian rugby and I, I had this desire to experience something else. So this opportunity came to play for six months at Leicester. So I remember the first game I played, it was 18 game, Saturday morning. And at that stage, like 18 game, you get four or 5,000 people there mm. at Welford Road. So playing this game, anyway, the ball got kicked out. And as I said, you know, I always wanted to try to do something a little bit different. I grabbed the ball and threw a quick line out. Then I felt this hand on the back of my shoulder and it was a tight head prop and he said, son, we don't do that around here. It's Leicester. <laughs> and but that was the strength of, you know, it really got me to understand how important it is for teams to have an identity mm. because you immediately you play for Leicester. No one needed to speak about the culture. That was how it operated. You fit in, you do your job and then you're part of the team. And it was a great experience I had. I loved it. It seems that all the things you've talked about so far, about being driven to succeed, uh, getting up early, going for a run, getting into the weight room. From what we know of you now as Eddie Jones, the coach, those things still resonate strongly with you, don't they? Yeah, well, I think if you stay in the game a while, you've got to be authentic um, and there's things that you believe in and you've got to keep doing them. And, and certainly, you know, I always believe that for any team to be successful, you have to work hard, mm. but you also have to enjoy it. I've tried to keep my personal standards in terms of fitness and I try to drive my teams in, in the same way. What drove you to coaching then? You, you said that when you were at Leicester, it was that environment that you thought, you know what, I'm, I fancy a little bit of coaching. Well, it actually happened a bit earlier than that. I was a Randwick first, a club team first team hooker and New South Wales hooker. So that means you're out one out of two spots away from playing for Australia because there's only Queensland side. So anyway... I was a starting New South Wales hooker. Then the Australian coach who happened to be from our club, a guy called Bob DeWire, brilliant coach, he picked the reserve grade, the second team hooker from Randwick to be the Wallaby hooker. Right. So I got sort of gazumped out of it. So then I ended up playing the first part of the season in, in the first team for the club and the second part in the second team when Phil had come back. And I went back to the second team and 
I remember the coach saying to me one day, he said, uh, and when the team wasn't going that well, he said, you talk a lot, so you might as well coach the team as well. So I actually ended up coaching the second team for a season and we won the comp. So I thought oh, I might have a go at this. And then I went to Leicester and I experienced a different culture and I thought this could be real fun. And then the game went professional. So it was a, a number of circumstances that led me to coach. You've created quite a picture of Eddie Jones, a rugby player, uh, the small, tenacious one, quite vocal on the field. When I was a young coach, I used to be a lot more in your face and that's the way sport was then. You know, you'd stand on top of the table and you'd, you'd bark orders and players would say, jump, and they'd say, how high do you want me to jump? Now they say, why? You know, yeah. And that's the difference. So you, the approach changes now and you, you've got to be a lot more consultative, a lot more together in making decisions in today's sport, which, you know, is a, is a great development of how people are educated now. Are there any people that you would say are up there from your major influences? What I've tried to do, and I, I learned it from reading a, a book on, there was a Prime Minister called Paul Keating in Australia. He's maybe 10 or 12 years, very successful. And I remember one of the things I read about him, he said, whenever you're starting out a career, go and find the people who are about to retire because they'll tell you everything because nice. they they've got nothing to hide. You know, yeah. They want to share it. So I've, I've gone out of my way now the fine coaches have been in the game a long time towards the end of their career and, and just basically picked their brains. That's a really good tip for anyone really, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, no, Anyone 100%. in any, any walk of life. Yeah, Go and find someone who, who yeah. is calling it a day yeah. and then pick their brains. Yeah. Because you've got nothing to hide yeah, then because yeah. you're not, they're not your competitors. So, you know, I'm getting, to the, I'm getting to the stage now where people are coming to me. And, and, <laughs> but that's, that's what, and the other thing I think I've always done is I've always shared my information. I've never hidden it, which m makes you more urgent to find new ways of doing things. Mm. Do you spend time with other coaches? Do you, do you go around the world meeting other people, other influencers from different walks of life, business? 100 kind of 100%, 100%. Who's had the biggest impact on you so far? Well, when I was coaching in Japan, probably the coach who had the biggest influence was Pep. Right. So he was at Bayern Munich because they played, you know, they played that Barcelona, that what they call tic-tac, yeah. you know, where the ball's moving. With Japan, with like our biggest player was about this big. So we had to find a way to beat bigger teams and it was only through moving the ball quickly. And so I went and spent an hour and a half. He, he stayed until I think it was about 7 o'clock at night, stayed in his office, had a full day, gave me an hour and a half, two hours at the end of the day to talk about his approach to that. And it was a really insightful discussion we had and really helped me coach Japan. You know, since I've been in England, I've been lucky enough to meet guys like Arsene Wenger, Alex Ferguson, Roy Hodgson, Gareth Southgate. And again, from each of those, you pick up just little bits. I'm curious, how does a conversation like that start when you sit with these soccer coaches or these coaches from other sports? How do you guys kind of swap information? Because two great minds coming together, there must yeah. be so much info. Well, there might be one great mind. One oh, come on, come on, Eddie. <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, when you're in the business of coaching, there's a commonality about what you do. You're trying to get the best out of a, a group of young people. You're trying to find a way. So it always starts out with a conversation around that. Right. Yeah, what would you do in this certain situation? Okay. Because I, I went to the Super Bowl in February. Okay, yeah. And I was sat with Gareth Southgate, Dave Brailsford and Mike Checker. And they were doing exactly the same thing. Yeah. Swapping information yeah. with the... Uh, they're American equivalents, yeah. I guess. And it's interesting that you guys do that and fascinating to, to, to know that you're always wanting more information yeah. to improve. And especially a guy like yourself who's achieved so much in the game, constantly developing yourself. Will you ever be done? Will you ever be the complete package? 
I always remember meeting, a, a, again, a veteran coach when I was just starting out and he said, coaching's like, like a piece of string. There's no end to it. And the better you get and the more success you are, the harder it is. And that's what it's like. like I was having a conversation with a couple of our coaches the other day and they said, oh, we're busy. I said, well, you're busy. You never stop being busy. Like you don't get to the top and then Take you a can break. rest because there's no <laughs> such thing. You know, because someone else is climbing up the hill chasing you. So all the time, the more you do, the more there is to do. And that's the love of coaching. You've got to love doing it. Do you wear blinkers when you're prepping a team? As in, do you have tunnel vision or do you keep your eye on the opposition and what they're doing? Uh, again, probably about an 80-20 rule. Right. Uh, 80% on us, 20% on the opposition. And again, when I was younger, probably look too much at the opposition because there's only so much you can do in a certain period of time. So, yeah, we only have the team for, what is it, we have it for five days before the first test against South Africa. So in five days there's only a certain amount of information you give the team and then work out how you can stop one or two of the key things that the opposition are doing. Right. From the teams that you've coached, uh, when you walk in and you see a team for the very first time, are there similarities in what you think needs changing? So from everything you did in Australia, the Japanese team, and then coming to uh, England, are there similarities in what Eddie Jones wants to do with a team? Uh, well, I think you're always thinking about the fact you're looking at the players you've got, so they're your players. Yeah. Then you work out, I've got an idea how I want to play, that's the idea of how I want to play. Then you work out, how can I make these players at their best playing this sort of game? And you might end up with this. That's the game you end up with. Right. Because very rarely you can have the perfect game. So, you know, there's an image in my head of what the perfect game is, but no one ever has the perfect team. So, therefore, you work out how you can harmonise, maximise your players to create a game that's the most powerful. And England's been an interesting one because... Yeah, you know, England rugby is generally quite conservative. You know, it's it's about set piece, it's about defence. And we haven't tried to change that, but we know to win the World Cup, we've got to add a little bit. Yeah. And we're in the process of adding that little bit at the moment, which is not always easy, as we've seen. How far away do you think we are? Uh, it's working. The million progress. dollar question. Yeah, because <laughs> that's the 2nd of November, so that's the peak. Right. We're here now. Now, we don't need the peak now. We don't need the peak there. We don't need the peak there. We need the peak there. So everything's about peaking. Right. Yeah, and that's the secret of a World Cup campaign. Be right when you need to be right. It's no use being a front runner now. Like there's a great horse race in Australia called the Melbourne Cup, yes. two miles. Yeah. So there's a rise. There's no use being in front over the rise. You've got to be in front of the post. And we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, no, we'll Eddie, get there. We have faith. Very confident. Just a little break from Eddie Jones to remind you, please subscribe to the England Rugby Podcast through Acast or iTunes. And all our previous episodes are available, which include interviews with James Haskell, Jack Noel, Marowatoji, as well as hearing from a number of the Red Roses players. Now let's get back to my chat with Coach Eddie. When you put a team together of coaches, what do you look for? Uh, complementary personalities, complementary skill sets. So... Players need different things. Mm. You know, they don't want someone at the front of the room being emotional all the time. They need that analytical guy. So it's, a, it's getting the right balance of coaches. When you've 
had a, a tough day, let's say a Tuesday, yeah. when, when the players are all shattered yeah. and they've done gasses all day. Yeah. Uh, how do you relax? Do you switch off? Can you switch off? I don't have a problem. Um, I love rugby, so I love watching rugby. Um, and there's so many good like sport documentaries now where you can actually relax but also learn a bit. You know, I was watching something the other day about All or Nothing. Uh, again, the All Blacks have had Juventus. Yeah, and you learn a little bit every time you watch those things, so I find those quite relaxing. Do you have any hobbies now that you had as a, a young man back in the day? I got rid of them all, mate. Did you? <laughs> Why is that? Well, I used to be a keen golfer and I wasn't much good, um, so it was quite a stressful <laughs> hobby. So I've, got, I've, I've been that. Um, have, have you ever been on the little nine-hole uh, course at no, Penny Hill Park? No, 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 no that surprises no, me. No, not at all. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking, mate, you come back by the golf. Right. So, so, so you had golf. Any, anything else? Uh, well, I love cricket. Yeah, I love sport. Watching sport. Now we've got a little dog. That's what kind of dog have you got? A uh, little Papillon. Yeah. Oh. Uh, do you and your wife <laughs> go walking your dog? Uh, yeah, 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 but she doesn't need much exercise. Like she does one lap of the office and she's tired. <laughs> <laughs> who, who cooks in your house? Uh, my wife, yeah. And what, what's your favourite dish that your wife cooks? Just simple food, grilled fish, rice and some vegetables. Are you conscious of what you eat? Uh, very much so now. Really? Yeah, yeah, as you get older you have to be, mate. Does your uh, nutritional habits influence what the players eat? I uh, keep an eye on what they eat, but... Uh, they're lucky they can eat what they want. It's funny, yeah, you know, when you're a rugby player, I was a little guy, you spend your whole life trying to get as big as you can, then you spend the rest of your life trying to stay as small <laughs> as you can. Eddie, where do you see us towards the World Cup? I would imagine that you've got an idea on a 30 to 40 man squad. Uh, are, we, are we there player-wise? Is there anything else, any additions you need to make? I think we've got a, the core of the squad, we get our best players fit. Uh, we've got a few debatable backup positions, but then it's, it's can we identify an X-factor player, someone who comes out of the, the woodwork that's going to give us something different. So watch cl closely all the 20s game, see if there's anyone there. And obviously this year there's an opportunity for someone, you know, one of those late bloomers that possibly hasn't been through all the pathways that comes through that's got something a bit different. Do you keep your eye on all the youth teams across the country? Uh, I try to, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got fairly good information systems on all those players, but you tend to find all the players rise to the 20s and, and they're the key games to watch. So, Eddie, let, let's briefly talk about your time as, as England coach. Two and a half years in, how do you think it's gone? Uh, well, I've always seen it as a four-year project. First year was about establishing a foundation, which I think we did reasonably well. And we probably had more success than we were entitled to have. <laughs> Second year is about making sure you got the foundation right. And again, we did quite well there. Third year is always the most difficult year because you've got to make change. Mm. Because a lot of the team that you've had for the first two years, maybe some of those players are at the end of their career um, and you've got to regenerate the team. And as we've found out, that can be, there's some pain involved in that. But winning is not a straight line. So I think we're in a great position. Do you think, uh now that you've established yourself as the coach, it's easy for players to come in because word's got around what kind of guy you are and your coaching techniques and the way that you are in camp. Uh, well, I think the expectation is, is clearer of what they need to do. Any uh, team around the world, there's a massive difference between the, the international game and the domestic game. Mm. 
And the hardest thing is to get players to understand how do I make that tradition from a good domestic player to being a good international player. There's a physical side, there's a mental side, there's knowing your competitive edge, there's being adaptable. And I think players are coming better prepared to make that change. You know, they can't come in the camp and say, I'm a fantastic player for wasps for sale. Because whilst you still want them to do the things they're good at at club level, they've got to change to be a good international player. And I think that's clear in players' heads now. When you watched England from the outside prior to being our head coach, and this is no disrespect to yeah, the yeah, yeah. previous regime as such, what one thing did you think you would want to change if you were coach of, of England? And have you changed that? Uh, yeah, about clarity about how they play and about being English. Yeah. Not being a copy of other teams. Because I think, yeah, you know, you've got New Zealand there, which is a benchmark of international rugby. Of any team, really. Yeah. And, and what everyone tries to do is to copy that. Yeah. And as you can see, you know, like the iPhone, no one's been able to make a better iPhone. You can't copy something. You know, you've got to come up with your own way of doing it. And, and particularly, I think, for, for the English team, it's important we, we keep being an English team. And that's not to say we don't need to keep evolving, but we need to retain our Englishness. Well, one thing we do have, and from my experience of meeting the guys, is we have a great cast of characters, yeah. all the way from the back, all the way to the front. Everyone's different. Everyone's got their own individual personality, naturally. But yet, when they come together, there's players that just bounce and spark off other players. And that, I think, is a compliment to you being able to bring that out. Is that something that you try and do yeah, consciously? I, yeah, well, I think it's more a compliment to the senior players that they right. create a good environment. You know, at the end of the day, as a coach, we only really have them from nine to five, mm. you know, because we can't go in their rooms at night. Yeah. So what they do between five in the afternoon and nine the next day is generally the responsibility of the senior players. It, it seems to be coffee club, yeah, Eddie, I'll no, be honest with you. No, <laughs> James George what, and Elliot Daly yeah. doing their game shows and this, that and the other. And they do, they have fun. They, yeah. You know, we, uh, I always remember, like, it was a tough tour this afternoon. We lost the first two tests. Wednesday we had a day off. The guys went over to a park across from the hotel and played cricket. They had a great time. Now, I haven't seen that for a long time for a professional team, just guys enjoying each other's company. And it's a real credit to the senior players. It really is, because they're, they're a joy to work with. So that must mean that it's a happy camp. It must mean that things are going in the right direction, like you say. But, you know, Fingers like, crossed. like any family, you know, it's only happy to a certain degree and you always have friction. And yeah. you have to have friction. But Haskell told me that you're fair. You're tough but fair. <laughs> it must be true then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about our journey towards uh, the World Cup. It's going to be in Japan. We spoke earlier about the fact that uh, your wife's Japanese, yeah. your mother's Japanese. It's a huge cultural change from the, from the UK. So how do we prepare for that? Uh, we're going to do some cultural indoctrination type exercise and just being adaptable. Like We've deliberately changed our domestic programs over the last couple of years to make the players more adaptable. Because right. you know, we're going to have to move hotels a day before the game in some times. So getting the players more robust and then just having the players with an open mind, enjoy touring. And again, South Africa, one of the things I really enjoyed about the team, they enjoyed the tour. Mm. You know, it's important to enjoy the World Cup because it will be different and maybe sometimes maybe difficult. Yeah. But um, with Japanese culture, it's going to be 
a completely different tournament, isn't it? You know, obviously a time difference as well from the UK and you've got to prep them. Are the guys excited? Are they thinking that far ahead? Because I know you're a day-to-day guy, right? Yeah, they won't start thinking about that until after Six Nations. Right. That's traditionally, you know, because they know to get to the World Cup, they've got to, there's certain things they've got to do. And, and they get the World They've Cup. They've got to get in the squad They've first. They've got to get in the squad. So they won't be thinking about that until post Six Nations. And then you start focusing more on the World Cup then. Right. Okay. Perfect. Uh, Eddie, thank you very much Pleasure. for chatting to us. It's been an absolute joy and a real insight into Eddie Jones, the man. Thank absolute you. pleasure. Cheers. Thank you. England head coach Eddie Jones. What an enjoyable chap. What a nice guy. Many thanks to Eddie for taking the time to talk to us. That's all for this special episode of the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. Make sure you subscribe to us through Aircast, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, we would be grateful if you could leave us a review. Also, do check out the official England Rugby social channels on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and Snapchat for more from the England team. All right, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.